Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, thank you very much. Let me invite you to turn with me in my, our text for this morning, which is Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what the Apostle Paul says as he is encouraging these believers In this church, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for all those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Let's pray once more and ask God to bless our time considering what he said to us in his word. Our Father in heaven, we come before you as the God who is there, the God who has personally intervened in our lives in the person and work of your Son. We are grateful for your grace and mercy, and we do pray yet again this morning with all dependence that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to hear your word and that it would bear fruit in our hearts and our lives. We pray that this would be true every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every visiting preacher in every pulpit feels compelled to say, it's my joy to be with you this morning. I don't know if you know this or not, but in some cases when they say that, it is not true. It is not their joy to be with you that morning, but I am happy to say today that it sincerely is my joy to be here this morning. Every time I have an opportunity, which is not frequently, to be back at Southeastern or back here in Raleigh, it is a real joy because it brings back for me a flood of rich memories. It was sitting here facing pulpits like this in chapel or in my local church that I heard edifying, clarifying, life-giving truth like I had never heard before. I had opportunities to hear preachers who were held in such high esteem by so many, including myself. Dr. John Phillips is one that I remember. Dr. Aiken, Dr. Moeller, so many others which was such an example to me of the importance of expositional preaching. And at that time, the chapel was kept in the single digits to keep us from falling asleep. It feels much better in here than it did then. But I assure you, the truth that I was hearing was on fire. And so my time here was interesting because even the the feeling of inadequacy that I feel now is one that I have really gotten used to. It seems to have been with me since the day I came to Christ. My family, my wife and I arrived here in 2002. And uh, I came here, some of you may identify with the honesty of this story, I came here ignorant of almost everything. 
I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know anything about expository preaching. I knew nothing about biblical counseling or reformed theology or local church meaningful membership. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what questions to ask, let alone the answers to those questions. On top of that, not only did I have zero answers, but my wife and I were bringing with us to Bostwick 21 a 26-foot truck full of troubles. My wife had come to Christ at an early age, about 11, a strong Christian family, but in late middle school, early high school, really began to struggle with anxiety and depression and panic attacks. She attempted suicide her senior year in high school, which ended up placing her in a prominent psych ward in Kansas. And there she finished her senior year in high school and actually graduated there in the hospital, came out, went off to Murray State University in which the first semester in her dorm room attempted suicide again, back in the hospital again. And without the knowledge of, of, of deep, rich, gospel-centered soul care that we know in our family today, she ran the full gamut of secular treatment and approach to these daunting problems that she faced. Even to the point that just after we were married, uh, those problems continued to increase such that she was back in the hospital and underwent a lengthy course of electroconvulsive therapy. And it wasn't but a year and a half later that by God's grace, we landed here with all of these troubles with us, knowing nothing. And we took a class, the first class we had together was a class called Pastoral Care and Counseling. And that class turned our lives inside out. We had never heard anything about the sufficiency of Scripture, about the grace of Jesus Christ through the gospel by His Spirit to change us and to care for our souls. So we, we went to this professor, we went to, to pastors in our church, and we asked for help. We've never heard these things before. You've got to help us. And through a persevering, lengthy season of true, beautiful, biblical, gospel-centered soul care, the Lord did a fantastic work in our lives. He changed our hearts, He renewed our minds, and He continues to do that work even now. Those troubles that we brought with us seem to fade a bit into the background, and Christ in His glory rose into the foreground of our lives, and we were convinced and we were all in on everything that Southeastern was investing in us, and it changed our lives. Now, as I think back about those 17, now 17 and a half years, while time really, really flies, many, many passages of Scripture speak directly to Jesus' power to care daily for our souls, even, even today. But one stands out, and that's the one that I want us to consider this morning. Again, Colossians 2, 1 through 5. Let me read this passage just once more. We're going to focus in on verse 3. Paul, again, talking to these believers, wanting to encourage them and share his heart for them, his prayers for them. He says, I want you to know a greatest struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself and one of the most profound passages in my life. But I want us, with the time that remains, to focus in on the next 11 words. I think these 11 words are critical 
to our lives, to our godliness, to our ministry, as we are studying and preparing and training and serving even in our local churches. I want you to see first just these two words in verse 3, in whom. And in this, I want you to see first what Paul is saying, because here they are fundamentally important words, that Jesus is a person. Now, that does not sound to many of us like earth-shattering truth, but it is. That Jesus Christ is a person. These two words, along with the rest of Scripture, point to him repeatedly in this way as the lover and the one who can care for our souls. The Scriptures do not point us to a system. They don't point us to a program or to a lifestyle or to a list of do's and don'ts, although we know that if we love him, we will obey him. The Scriptures don't ultimately point us to a book, although we know that God has revealed him to us in his inerrant word, but rather the gospel points us to a person. This is one truth that was so driven home, and it is one that I need continually driven into my heart. Perhaps you do as well, especially here on a seminary campus, that Jesus is a living Savior. He is a present person. I fear that it is easy here to lose sight of that. We've been giving so much truth and, and so much, so much uh, important life-giving doctrine that somehow it is, it is confounding to me how it happens in my heart, but that, that Jesus can drift away to become just a figurehead. He's, he's just the, the, the face of the organization rather than a person. As a church planter, my family has been helped by some supplemental income And uh, for me, I've been able to work for a publishing company, helping to oversee counseling books, and it's been a a real joy and a real help to our family. And and as I have thought back about uh, books that have really made a difference in my life and authors, uh, there's some that really stand out. One is is J.I. Packer. I know many people here have been greatly impacted by the writing and ministry of J.I. Packer. Knowing God uh, brought such clarity and and, uh, has helped me, along with a number of other writings, to refine my, my view of Christ and my theology. And I see him uh, so high as a giant of the faith. Well, this position that I've had has given me an opportunity to talk to some of these people that I've, I've never gotten to meet. And so I, I was needing to work on a book and try to gain an endorsement for one. And somebody suggested, you know, Packer would be a great person to endorse this. Well, how in the world do you get in touch with G.I. Packer? I guess you contact his people and then his people talk to him and they work something out and then he gives the endorsement. And somebody said, "Uh, here's a number you could use to try to get in touch with his people. And so I called the number just uh, on a whim, driving down the street between uh, appointments I was making, and and the phone rang, and it rang, and it rang, and then it picked up. Hello, Jim Packer. And I froze. The first thing that I thought in the brief moments of silence after he answered his iPhone Don't say anything stupid. (laughs) And then right after that, I said something stupid. (laughs) Dr. Packer, how are you today? 
Now that's stupid because that's what, that's what every unknown caller says. That's what the telemarketer always says. That's the worst thing that you can say. To which J.I. Packer said, well, I don't know what you mean. I'm alive. I suppose that's an answer. Yes, sir, that, that's an answer. That's wonderful. But I'll tell you something happened over the next 15 or 20 minutes. J.I. Packer, the exalted giant of the faith, the king of knowing God, became a person. He talked to me like I was his grandson. At the end of our conversation, he said, now I want you to know, you can call me anytime you want. Now, I never did, but I could have. And it was this experience, almost like a, like a kid, imagine coming down and finding Santa Claus actually in the living room, dispersing the presents under the tree, realizing he's a person. Well, friends, I think that what we need repeatedly in our lives is for this to dawn on us about Jesus Christ, that he is a person. Do you want these benefits the Apostle Paul is exalting to be encouraged, to be knit together with believers in your church, to know the riches of assurance and understanding? It will only happen if we learn to go to a person. This was a key truth in, in all of the, 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 the biblical counseling training that I received, and I was trying to fumble through and learn how to care for souls. We can look at the, the way that, that we do counseling and care for people and the way that the world does counseling and cares for people, and we see a lot of similarities. But what is the striking central difference? There's a person in the room. He is present. He is here by his spirit now. He is ministering to your heart right now as a person. And this is a life-giving truth. Do you know that there are people out in the world who don't believe that Jesus is a person? Well, at times this room, at times my church, at times my house is full of them. Sometimes I'm someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is a person. I, I, need, a, I need a system, I need a program, I need something else. And it keeps me from going to this person. As I was early on being discipled, uh, shortly after coming to Christ, I was warned about the devil's work. And they said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And that's not what I have found. What I have found, if there's anything like that, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you bored. Bored with Jesus Christ. Yeah, 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 Jesus, that's great. Give me the real stuff. Give me the stuff that'll blow my hair back. Give me the stuff that will confound me. Jesus Christ. So as we look at these two words, I hope that all of us can, can take away some encouragement and challenge to intentionally do this. Personalize Jesus in your daily life. He can be depersonalized, and this will be a fight for us to wake up 
to a person and walk with a person and lay our heads down to sleep to this person. That is the call of the Apostle Paul in these two simple words, in whom, not in which, not in that, in whom. Why is this so important? Because what we need most in life is hidden in this person. Notice what Paul says next in the next few words. He says that he, he wants us to have a true knowledge of God's mystery, who is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures, are hidden. Now, we know, Deuteronomy 29, 29, that our God is a secret-keeping God. How do you feel about that? He is keeping secrets from you. The secret things belong to the Lord, but those that are revealed are for us and for our children forevermore. He is keeping secrets. This word here, though, that Paul uses is not a secret hiding. The Salros is a, is a hiding away like treasures in a treasury, collecting all of the treasures in a box or a chest. But of course, we know, make no mistake, they are hidden in a person. You can picture it as these treasures are hidden in his hands. They are collected, they are protected, and they are what we need most. That's what we need most daily, personally. It's what people in our churches need. It's what, what the people of, of our world need. And in this hiding, there are some connected realities. What does this mean that the treasures are hidden in this person? Well, it means they're owned by him. They are controlled by him and they can only be granted by him. This is why no one can simply wake up and choose to be a changed person, either by conversion or in sanctification, because these treasures must be granted by the person in whom they are hidden. Therefore, this can only happen. These benefits, these joys of the gospel, these gospel blessings can be ours only by venturing into Christ who holds in his hands what we need. We cannot mine them from him. We cannot steal them from him. We can only gain them by bowing before him. And again, this is not just a truth of conversion. Of course, everyone must bow a knee to Jesus Christ, and one day everyone will. But it is a daily, it is a daily devotion to bow to him, walking in Christ. Listen to what else Paul says a little bit later in Colossians 2. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and all authority. Do you hear him exalting Jesus Christ as the one who is in all control and the one who has all the treasures hidden 
in him. You may have seen in the news just a week and a half ago that the largest heist since World War II was perpetrated on a Dresden museum. One billion euros worth of art and jewelry were stolen. This is impossible without gaining entrance into the treasury. Well, you can't break into Christ. You must bow. So many times, I have tried to preach, I have tried to counsel people, I have tried to disciple my children without bowing to him, with no thought of him. I think about the principles, I think about the books, but no thought of him. Even then, only by his grace, if anything was accomplished in those sermons or in those counseling sessions or in my children, of course, it was by grace alone. He is, he is confounding me. He is working despite me, but that's not, that's not what I want. It is bowing before him. It is seeking the treasure that is hidden in him by seeking him as our treasure. We must not let that become played out, treasure Christ. It's like gospel-centered. It's something that we say so many times it, it can just lose its luster and it becomes routine, right? Are you treasuring Christ? Are you bowing before him? In the hour of study, in the hour of learning, in the hour of preaching lab, in the hour of friendship, are you bowing before him? I know that you and I need this because every single person in my church tells me they need this. We will routinely ask people in our church, how can we pray for you? Do you know what the number one almost every time prayer request is? In a church where people are driven to Scripture, they are hearing all the time rich truth from the Word of God, expounded for them, ministered to them. What is the one prayer request they keep coming back to? Pray that I will learn to seek Jesus because I'm not doing that. I'm doing all of these other good things. I'm just not finding time to be in his word. I'm not finding time to con commune with him, to bow before him, to walk with him in intentionally. And because I know that you're just like me, I know that that statement right there is hitting you the way that it's hitting me. That's me. That doesn't make any sense. Here, at a seminary, bastion, truly, bastion of truth, focused on a mission, and we still don't find time to read the Word of God, to bow before Christ, to worship Him. God, help us. But that's what Paul is doing, isn't it? He's helping us. In whom are hidden all the treasures. And then finally, these last few words, what does Paul do? He highlights something in particular that Jesus is hiding that's hidden in him, and he calls them the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom, Sophia, knowledge, gnosis. I have a daughter named Sophia. My other daughter's name is Gnosis. That's not true. That would be weird. But you might as well, because that's what Paul is doing. He is saying, you want to seek something of value from Jesus Christ. 
You want to know the treasures that are in his hands. They are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's nothing more valuable than these two children that we would seek for them to be ours. And I'm, I'm so glad for this. How many times do I, how many times do you on a, on a daily basis, I cry out, God, I need wisdom. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do in my marriage. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do in my church. I don't know what to do in my personal battle with sin. I'm really struggling. God, help me. But here are the treasures, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that inform everything in our lives, the way that we see everything, what we desire and want, our affections, our, our words, our actions, our thoughts. In one sense, this wisdom and knowledge is like a pair of glasses. It colors everything. And there are only two kinds of people you know in the world. There are covenant keepers and there are covenant breakers. Covenant breakers have the, the lenses of the world on their face. They're rose-tinted and changes the way everything is seen. But that's what we all need. We all need a new set of glasses. We need the treasures of wisdom and knowledge to change the way that we see our lives. You need that today. I need that today. To borrow a picture from... Cornelius Van Til, another giant of the faith to me, he put it this way, that even when you have these two people, a covenant keeper who is in Christ, trusting him, walking with him, and the covenant breaker who has rejected him and is living in his own autonomy and independence in the way he sees the world, they both see a cat walk across the street, but they have two radically different interpretations, even in that. The covenant breaker sees a cat that is simply a, a, a conglomeration of, of molecules that's just thrown together by chance in a random world where there is no God. And the covenant keeper sees that same simple cat walk across the street, and that is something that belongs to our Creator. That is something that is to glorify Him and change Him. Friends, it is the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that change the way we see even a cat walking across the street. So you better believe that these treasures of wisdom and knowledge are what we need, even in daily life, even in seminary, to change the way that we see God's world. Such that we would apply this to our lives by seeking daily from Jesus the wisdom and knowledge of God. Are you doing that regularly? Is that a regular discipline of your life? To bow before Jesus, the present person, the living Savior who is with us now by his Spirit, who has by grace alone opened his hands to reveal to us and give us the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in him because we have become hidden in him? To say, Jesus, show me the treasures. Change my glasses. Fix my eyes. Renew my heart. I want to see the world the way you see it. I want to think your thoughts after you. This is the great fight of the Christian life, is it not?
Even sitting here today, this, I believe, is what we are in desperate need of. And of course, that begins by coming to Christ. I'm not so naive as to believe that there's not someone here who may need to come to Christ. And it is our challenge to you, it is our prayer for you, that even right now, you would cry out to him and ask God to give you everything that you need so that you might believe in him, so that you might come to know this person, and you might receive his hidden treasures, and his wisdom and his knowledge would come to rule your life. And then beyond that, however God chooses to use you in life, in ministry, wherever, around the world, in local churches, on mission for him and the gospel, taking it to the, to the remotest part of our world, I want to leave you with one conclusion. And it is one that comes from another giant of the faith in my life, whose name is David Pallison. He recently passed away, great leader of the biblical counseling movement and a an incredible, someone who's made an incredible investment in my life and a number of others. If I could boil it down, though, to a central charge for me and for you, it would simply be this. Borrowing his words that we ought to never degenerate. Hear that word. That's a powerful word. Never degenerate into doing ministry or life that is disconnected from the person of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, at work, and coming again. This is the charge to you. This is my prayer for you and for me, that this would be the reality of our lives. When this is true of us, we will have no fear of Paul's concern in verses 4 and 5, that no one would delude us with persuasive argument. That even though he is absent in body, nevertheless, he is with us in spirit. Christ is caring for us as well and rejoicing to see our good discipline and the stability of our faith in Christ. A stability that only comes by knowing the person. The person who is Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me pray for us. Our Father, you are the King. We desire nothing more this morning than that our King would be exalted. And that as we exalt you, as we set our eyes upon Christ, as we submit ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would change us that you would calibrate us, that you would bring us back to this single-minded focus upon Jesus Christ and his glory, even in our daily lives. And so it is my prayer this morning for myself and for my friends who are here, Lord, that you would focus us. Cause us to see Jesus and to bow before him as the person who has so marvelously intervened in our lives, 
and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need your treasures. And we ask that you would grant them to us all by your grace, and that this would be a defining characteristic of our lives and our ministries in the days to come. I pray every blessing upon my friends. I pray that you would use them. I pray that you would strengthen them. And I pray that you would glorify yourself through all of us, however you wish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit sebts.edu.